Welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter, the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your lawn and garden questions at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Well, hello and welcome to Garden Success. We are looking forward today to talking to you about whatever is of interest to you regarding your gardens, your lawns, your landscapes. Uh, if you'll get a pen and write down our number, please give us a call. It's 979-845-5689, uh, and you can email me at gardensuccess, one word, at tamu.edu garden success at tamu.edu and so let's talk about what you're interested in today i'll make a few comments here to get us going uh, this is a, a uh, kind of unique time of the of the winter season we're, we're kind of in the big middle of everything uh, and we still have oh gosh over a month to go before our last uh, average frost date and so this is the time when we start to plant and prepare for spring uh, but uh, at the same time we know that in most time most of the time at least well over half the time we're going to have another freeze uh, before it's over with well i want to comment a little bit about some of those preparations in a moment but right now we're going to go straight to the phones and talk to john hello john good morning uh mary sent you a really crummy picture of the mandarin satsuma owari orange okay i saw that i saw and, that ouch yeah so we actually covered it all the way to the ground and everything but we didn't put a light on it so it, it okay like it suffered but yeah. i guess my question is uh about pruning it and what is the expectation for it to come back and uh will it actually if it comes back will it bear fruit this year yeah well Mandarins or the Satsumas, rather, are they're they're quite hardy, and um, we had some you know some significant cold getting down in the teens, and so if uh, that's kind of on the borderline, it doesn't surprise me that it froze it, but it does a little bit if you covered it that you had the amount of damage. I would be uh, first thing I would do is is go down to the base, take your little pocket knife out, scrape underneath the the base. Uh, the the bark at the base a little bit and look for creamy colored or light green colored uh, which would indicate health or living tissue rather uh, if you see something that looks like paper sack brown or pecan brown well that's that's gone it, it's been long enough that it should be browning you might uh, see kind of a grayish uh, look to it as well which is not good and then work your way out I wouldn't be surprised if some of those branches uh, are still still have green what you what you want to hope for is that above the graft you can find green i suspect the graft probably is still alive or the the rootstock is still alive uh, depending on which rootstock it came with uh, but uh, i suspect the rootstock's alive but the graft is is the key if you if you got green above it it will come back okay I, I'll, I'll do that and I'll, I'll check on it yeah uh, we also had a, a, a lemon tree, but we put it in the greenhouse. It, in fact, it's already got flowers on it. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. But, okay. Uh, on, let's talk garlic. Uh, reading about garlic, that, that in the book it talks about a, a soft, 
top or hard top. Mm-hmm. And one of them you can plant in the in the spring. The other they tell you to plant in the fall. Uh, yeah. Which which one? I mean, what which one do you like? Which one works here? Well, I was afraid you were going to ask me that. I want to say it's the soft neck, but let me check on that right quick um, and make sure I'm telling you the right thing. I believe it's it's the soft neck. I, you know, believe it or not, I have not. I think once I've grown garlic, and it's been a long time. And I I like garlic and eat garlic, but for some reason I just haven't gotten around to to actually. Um, you know, becoming a garlic expert by growing it myself. Well, uh, well, if you read these nursery things, of course, they they want you to grow plants, so they they tell you how easy it is to grow garlic and that mm-hmm. you know prolific and you get a lot of you know big heads, et cetera. I just I didn't know if that was in Brazos Valley or not. Yeah, well, um, you you can grow garlic all around texas i mean that's that's not a real issue uh it it's not something that's one of our big you know commercial plant plants but in general garlic is uh, something that i've seen gardeners grow a long time you know we've got you mentioned the soft neck and the hard neck type we also have the um, uh, what's called elephant garlic which i'm told is not uh, really a true garlic uh, but it it's very mild as well uh, but elephant garlic does does pretty well. Uh, I'm trying to find the uh, uh, information that I was looking for, and now I'm not seeing it. A friend of mine wrote an article on that over in San Antonio, uh, and he doesn't go <laughs> into which type. He just recommends a couple of varieties. John, I'm going to have to hunt that down, and and uh, I'll say it on the air uh, okay. when I can find it as to the hard and soft neck. I should know that. Uh, but it's best to plant garlic, whatever you plant. It's best to plant it in the fall because it has all winter to get established, and, and it's somewhat cold-hardy. You know, a little covering is is not bad during a hard freeze, but um, it, it just gives you a head start. Uh, but I, if you don't have it done yet, I would still try it now. The key is garlic is kind of like onions in that when the day length starts to change as we come into the new season, uh, it starts to bulb and it, it forms its its bulbs and so you'd like to have the best plants you can uh, by the time that that happens okay yeah so. all right well i appreciate your help and uh, i'll take a look at the uh, uh set soon and see if there's any hope left. <laughs> yeah and in the meantime i'm gonna i'm gonna find that that answer and i, I should know it but anyway i'll i'll say something about garlic in a little bit here great thanks Thank you very much. Appreciate the call. Uh, let's go back to the phones. Again, the number is 979-845-5689, and we're going to talk to Bob. Hello, Bob. Hey, Skip. I've also got a cold damage question. Okay. Uh, mine is onions. I, I had uh, onion plants in the ground for a month or so before that hard freeze, and they just totally went to the ground being brown, but uh, I didn't do anything with them, and now all of a sudden they've sprouted back up and yeah. green and look vigorous. Yeah. Now, are, th- are those things likely to bolt, or you think they're going to be okay? You know, sometimes, bolt, uh, sometimes the freezing uh, stress will result in them bolting. I think you're just going to have to wait and see. Uh, it doesn't surprise me that they're coming back out of the base, which was protected, uh, because on a on an onion plant, 
the stem is the the little disc at the bottom of the bulb that the roots come out of. And so you can kill everything above that and you still have a living stem from which re-sprouting, in this case coming back through the center, uh, can occur. Uh, your question is a good one, and I think we're just going to have to wait and see as to as to is it going to bulb on us now or not. So. Okay, I may get more plants, uh, but leave these, and uh, yeah, I, I'll that, either have too many or not enough. Well, you can't have too many <laughs> onions, you know. They, you just have to you just have to change your cooking plans a little bit. <laughs> uh, so I all right. I would I would plant some fresh ones just as to hedge your bet, you know. Okay. Thanks All right. a lot, Skip. All right. Well, thank you very much, Bob. I appreciate the call. Our phone number is 845-5689, 845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu, gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Uh, I want to talk a little bit uh, more about what we started off a moment ago, and that is uh, the season that we're in right now. Uh, according to the, the calendar, we're, we're saying, well, this is a good time to put out uh, some transplants of all those blue leaf vegetables, broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, kohlrabi, uh, kale, collards, you get the idea. Uh, the only one that I probably wouldn't plant at, uh, of the blue leaf at this time, the coal crops or cruciferous vegetables, is uh, Brussels sprouts. You can plant them now, and it's on our calendar to plant them now. They take a long time, uh, and so you'll get some harvest, but we'll be getting into some warmer weather, uh, and so yeah, I don't know. I'm not saying don't plant them. I'm just saying if you want to grow Brussels sprouts, I would recommend them. Uh, you know, as a fall crop uh, or get them in as, as early as you can with a good transplant uh, for them to do well. It's also a time when we begin planting our root crops like carrots and radishes, uh, turnips would be another example. Uh, when these things come up, you're going to have some tender little uh, seedlings because with anything that's a root crop, it's better to plant them directly, to direct seed out in the garden, rather than to uh, try to transplant them. And that's especially true of something like a carrot, where you want a nice, long, straight root. Uh, with that, To get that kind of root, you're going to have to not break the root. And then in the process of trans growing a transplant, the tip goes down to the bottom and at some point hits air and it burns that tip, and then the carrot will branch. That's how you get those carrots that look like they have two legs. And you've probably seen that. Uh, but anyway, that that's just not something you want to transplant, but direct seeding. So that leaves us with some tender little seedlings. And I, I started a bunch of, of um, these kinds of crops, including some uh, cool season greens. Oh gosh, before we had that, uh, what it, was it, 17 or so degree temperatures. And I didn't have a cover over them. Uh, you know, uh, do as I say, not as I do maybe. Uh, but I didn't have a cover over them and it, it burned them back and essentially destroyed the crop. Very few survived and so I've now replanted that area and have a new new set and guess what? I got a cover, a bunch of hoops ready to go and a little, even a, a clear plastic cover over them. And just a word about that. If, if you put a clear plastic all the way over 
plants and the sun shines, it's going to get hot underneath there. To go out and sit in your car on a sunny day, a, a cold sunny day, and your car is significantly warmer than the outside because the sun's shining through the windshield, warming it up. And that's even with the tinted, uh, somewhat tinted uh, windows around the car. It, what I do though is I, I have a tunnel and, and so there are these hoops going down the row that creates a tunnel when you cover them up, kind of like a Quonset hut, for those of you who know what that is. Uh, I leave the ends open so that as, the, as it warms up inside, the air can rise up and move out both ends of the, of the tunnel and it doesn't overheat. And then if you're going to have a cold night, you can close the ends down to seal that warm rising uh, air from the, the soil that warmed up during the day. Uh, to seal it in and you can get through a pretty rough cold when, when you have that kind of situation. The, the uh, cold wind can't blow the, that rising air. It can't speedily cool the soil like it can if the soil is exposed and so you, you get a lot of benefit. But that's, that's what I'm talking about in, in that we have freezes yet to come, most likely. And so we want to be ready to protect those crops because now's the time. If you wait until our last average frost date, which the last time I, I looked at uh, the uh, ocean, oceanography, meteorology, all the, the data that's produced uh, by our state climatologist and, and essentially comes from NOAA, uh, the, the last average freeze date is February 26th. Now, about the only thing I can guarantee you is that probably won't be the last day that it actually freezes. It's the average day. Uh, so the average means that one year, maybe the last average, the last freeze of the season is in January. And another year we get a good freeze in mid-March, which is a little bit late uh, for us to get our last freeze. Uh, but on average, February 26th. So uh, we have to go ahead and get these, these plants in because we can't wait. Uh, onion transplants uh, can go out now. Those are the little pencil-sized or smaller onion uh, that are onion seedlings that are, that are bound together with a rubber band and you buy them at the grocery or store, the hardware store, the, the nursery, the garden center, the feed store, you name it. Uh, a lot of people carry those and uh, we want to get those in as soon as we can. You want to get them in and get them growing as soon as you can. And so uh, there are a few other things. Uh, if you're fortunate enough to have access to some artichoke crowns or transplants, uh, those can also go out now. Again, with the transplants, they're young and tender, so be a little careful when we have a, a real good freeze, but they're somewhat cold hardy. Asparagus goes in the ground now, too. That's another thing we can do. Uh, so lots of lots of options there. Uh, the cool season um, uh, leafy greens, spinach and lettuce, arugula, mush or corn salad. Um, uh, um, those are all good things to plant in in uh, uh, succession planting. So I would say about every two weeks you put a little bit more lettuce in, and I mean a little bit. Think about how many. How many heads or bibs or how many leaves of lettuce do you eat in a given week? And uh, that's how much you should plant uh, when you plant so that uh, as it comes ready to eat, you've got enough, but you don't have so much that you don't know what to do with it. Uh, and by planting in succession, uh, if we have a crop failure, you're, you're okay. You may miss a little bit of harvest, but, but you'll be back in it again. Uh, and that's that's really the best way for those those leafy greens. 
uh, to be able to, to grow those. Uh, our phone number is 845-5689-845-5689 or by email at gardensuccess at t-a-m-u dot e-d-u gardensuccess at t-a-m-u dot e-d-u I want to go to the emails and uh, answer a few of the questions that have come in. Uh, Scott sent me a nice picture of some mulch volcanoes, not in his yard, but in, in someone else's. Uh, and I want to comment about that a little bit. I've talked about them on the show before. But things get things get started, and I, I don't know the, the actual beginning of mulch volcanoes when that began. But if you go in the forest, you never see trees with compost or mulch or whatever piled up a foot high on the trunk. Uh, trunk tissues are not made to be covered up and kept wet and moist and that like a mulch would do. And yet, in our landscapes, people do that. Landscapers do that. And it's, it's really common in commercial landscapes, but you see it in home landscapes too. And it shouldn't be done. It's not good for the tree. Uh, if it's a new tree, it has a, uh, there's another thing that's not good about it, and that is that when it rains and you might get some water soaking in at the base, it's shedding the water off to the sides. That volcano is, you know, it, it's uh, plus the thick, thick, thick layer of mulch that's right there at the base of the tree when it's piled up uh, absorbs a lot of the moisture, and it, you just don't get a good soaking in the root ball at that spot. But that's kind of a side thing. Uh, when you look at a, a tree, you drive around town, look at trees, you see these mulched areas around the tree. Look at the base of the trunk. A, a tree should flare out at the base. That's what happens in nature. I mean, you look all over the place, you see that. The, the, the base of the trunk, as is, is it flares out and the major roots uh, are coming out, uh, that's natural. That's what it should look like. When you see one that looks like a telephone pole, you know a telephone pole is the same diameter all the way down and all the way to the soil line. It's, it's the same. That indicates that the tree was either A, planted too deep, or it was mulched too deep. In most cases it's mulched, but both uh, deep planting and uh, I'll say deep mulching at the base of the tree are not good. If you plant deep, you, you'll really see that tree struggle uh, as it tries to recover. So mimic the forest. Give it a little layer of mulch. If it's something kind of fine textured like a ground up or even partially decomposed organic matter, uh, then may, maybe you don't need as thick of a mulch. If it's just, you know, leaves, it might uh, have a lot of air space and and uh, not block the light as well, uh, then you might make it a little bit thicker. But follow the forest. That's the way trees want to be treated. Get the mulch away from the base. Let's go to the phones now. The number is 845-5689. And let's talk to Gene. Hello, Gene. Hello, Skip. Uh, I've got a question about pre-emergence. Yes. I have used both uh, two, one, four, uh, grassy leaf, uh, weeds and one for uh, broadleaf weeds. Okay. What are the best ones to use here? And is it too early to do that with the weather we've had? It almost seems like it's time. Well, it's a little early. And uh, your comment about the weather is true. I can give you a date that is our generally recommended date for putting down a pre-emergent in the spring. Uh, the problem is if we have a lot of warm weather, uh, and the soil warms up for a, a period of time, not just for a few days, but a little bit longer, 
uh, you're going to get a lot of weed germination earlier than normal. And, and so we just have to go with the average. But I, I generally say mid-February is a good time, good time like, to get. Like, like Valentine's Day. Like Valentine's Day. You could do it a little earlier. You know, if you do it early, early, like let's say you did it right now, the, those products break down out in the environment. You know, they don't last all year, uh, maybe 45 yeah, days. It kind of depends on the product as to how resilient it is. Mm-hmm. And so the earlier you do, then the, the sooner it breaks down and you're having to redo it again. Uh, but if you can get it done by Valentine's Day, I wouldn't wait much longer than that for sure. Okay. Uh, most things, uh, grass burrs won't have germinated by then, for example. We may have a few um, weeds that, that sprout a little bit before it. And as far as grassy or broadleaf, it kind of depends on what your weed problems are. You know, so as you look at as you look at your yard season from to season, year to year, you know, are you seeing a lot of crabgrass? Is that is that the big problem, or are you I, seeing? I don't a lot? have as I don't have as much crabgrass because uh, mm-hmm. I've been using Scotts, whatever it is, mm-hmm. for that for years, and it seems to pretty well take care of that. Okay. Of course, you can't do anything about nutsedge. Nutsedge. Uh, yeah. But, but I've got broadleaf stuff, a lot of stuff that looks like uh, clover type. Okay. Uh, yeah, broad, broadleaf. But I, is that dichondra? Uh, Dichondra is a perennial that has a little leaf that uh, it's not heart-shaped in that it doesn't have a tip, but this, the little petiole that attaches to it, uh, the leaf kind of is like the top of a heart, you know, coming out yeah. from the center and curving around, uh, but right. it's just round on the bottom. That's, that's a Dichondra-shaped uh, leaf. And, 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 yeah. Will the, the emergent help with that? Um, well... I guess if it, if the dichondra was coming from seed, it being perennial, it tends to stick around, and okay. so I, I would probably use a post-emergent uh, on okay. the dichondra or a broadleaf okay. like that. Okay. You know, the, there's so much to say about weeds. I'm glad I'm glad you're asking the weed questions because a lot of people will have those. Uh, but uh, our our warm season weeds again are going to start germinating, uh, definitely by March, if not a little before. And so we prevent those. And once we get past that and the weeds are already up, a few of the pre-emergents have a little bit of a kind of a kickback. If, if it's a little tiny seedling, they may kill it, even though it's already sprouted and they're pre-emergents. Uh, but in general, once the weeds are up, then you've got to switch to the post. And you mentioned Nutsedge, by the way, uh, Gene, that there are some products that you can spray on Nutsedge leaves in a lawn to help control it. And they're pretty effective, but they're... Does it harm the St. Augustine? Well, some of them, it, especially when it's really hot, some of them can weaken the St. Augustine a little bit, but they're not going to kill it like, you, you know, you, you sprayed it with a Roundup or something. They're not going to kill it like that. These are things that are made and labeled to be used in the lawn. And uh, you can, you know, if you go, where where do you normally... Well, uh, wherever you normally buy your... your well, uh, I, I, I try to I buy... A lot of stuff I try to buy at producers. Okay. Well, the uh, they're going to have products like that there, and they can okay. guide you to one say, hey, I've got a lawn. I need a nutsedge post-emergent that can be used in a lawn. Now, get bring two checkbooks when you go shopping because they're right. not Right, I, I understand. They're not cheap. No. And you may see this little tiny amount that's a packet, but it's made, you know, so you mix it up and you do it once. You don't need a giant bottle of the stuff. You couldn't afford it anyway. I mean, it, it's it's pricey, but it's pricey because yeah. it wow. works and it and not everything works. Uh, okay. But but yeah, those those are those are pretty good. For 
for Broadleaf, is something with gallery in it the best to use in this area? Uh, gallery is is pretty good on Broadleafs, and uh, I'm trying to, you know, I, I tend to deal more in the the uh, ingredient names rather than you know the brands. Yeah. We're not out to promote okay, brands. Well, what, what's the what's the ingredient to look for? Because Gallery, like I say, I know well, it's a brand. Well, in in the case of Gallery, that that's fine. That'll work. That'll work just just fine as a as a broadly. I, I had had a very difficult time finding anything with Gallery in it last year, and I'm wondering what what an alternative would be. Oh, really? Hmm. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, it, what. What kind of grass do you have? What What's your turf grass? Mostly St. Augustine. There's a little Bermuda. Okay. The St. Augustine just doesn't seem to be able to choke out. So so let's do it this way. Would you send me an email, and I can then write out the the different uh, okay. uh, ingredient options that you have, because they're a booger to spell out some of them, and, uh, and make that recommendation for you. I'll be happy to okay. do that. Yeah. But I think that would probably you. be the best way to answer that okay. one. Okay. Thank okay. you, Skip. I'll I'll do that. Thank hey, you so and, much. You're, you're always so much help. Well, that's kind, and thank you for the call, Gene. Appreciate that. Okay, thank you. Our phone number is eight four five five six eight nine eight four five fifty six eighty nine, or by email uh, at garden success at tamu dot edu. Garden success at tamu dot edu and let's see here if you want to go back and check the emails again uh, we had an email uh, come in oh I was talking about Scott and the mulch volcanoes and I kind of went off about that uh, Scott also asked about pink skullcap uh, and it, it really took a hit in that freeze and is it going to be able to come back I would expect it to come back from the base pink skullcap has a pretty dense top and uh, so that top may uh, in some ways, help insulate the base. Uh, it's kind of like putting mulch over something and, and keeps the surface of the soil a little bit warmer on a freezing night. Uh, pink skull cap's pretty tough. Uh, I've seen it growing in areas a little bit colder than here, and it does okay. Uh, so I would give it time. You may see the sprouts coming from right at the base or maybe some of the branching uh, as it as it comes up and spreads outward. Uh, may may be able to regreen too. It's it's always hard to predict because every microclimate in different people's yards, uh, the, you know the 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 health and the stage of the plant going into the freeze, the weather going into the freeze, and so on, all plays a role. I wish we could just say yes when it gets to exactly this number of temperature, this plant lives or this plant dies, but it. Uh, plants can't read. I found that. And so even though we say things about them, uh, they obviously don't know. If they could read, they would know. Uh, it's kind of like deer lists, you know. Uh, deer can't read either. Uh, otherwise, they wouldn't eat plants we say are deer-proof. Uh, so I've, I've learned that, too, as well. Uh, let's go back uh, to the emails. Rhonda had a good question about uh, some metal uh, livestock watering tanks, can you use those for a garden? Uh, and uh, referring to some things online where there are some tanks that, uh, as I went online to look at those uh, that she was referring to, those look to be a modular garden to me. And so let's talk about that a little bit. If you go to a farm supply store and you buy one of those large oval tanks that are typically filled up with water for livestock watering, uh, those make fine gardens, uh, but you need to have drainage in the bottom. Now, I know those have like one 
drainage hole so if you wanted to drain the the tank and you know clean it out or whatever on the farm you could do that but I'm talking about drilling holes in the bottom so water can get out pretty much anywhere you know just a bunch of even quarter inch holes would do it but but get the water right out the thing you want to remember about those though is some of them are pretty tall and so it's going to take a lot of growing mix to fill them uh, unless you just have one bed it's not as big a deal but if you're buying a bunch of bags of of uh, growing mix for example that 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 would be a bit of a chore the other thing about making beds tall is the taller the bed is the more it settles because our beds are filled with organic matter when you look at a bed mix or if somebody's selling you something they call rose soil or vegetable soil or whatever that that is a predominantly a um, organic matter material it may be composted bark it may be you know mushroom compost in there or other things but all of that is going to go away and uh, it it oxidizes or it decomposes and the level sinks so if you've got a two foot deep garden box or bed or in this case uh, water trough uh, it you may have it full now but you know by mid-spring even it's going to have settled a little bit from from being filled loosely and now it's settling and then by the end of the year it's going to even be dropping because of the decomposition process so uh, it, it just means that you're going to be adding to it a lot more most of our vegetables don't need a lot of soil to grow in and so if you can get up in the maybe 18 16 18 inch 20 inch you can grow a lot of things certainly things like lettuce and spinach and all of that can grow in something that's you know even a foot deep uh, but if you want to grow some larger things that need a more extensive root system like tomatoes being a good example I would I would say go a little deeper uh, in it than that um, so those are those are fine they they work well they're galvanized so they last pretty good uh, they have a nice rounded edge so you can sit on the edge that's another thing I like about the livestock watering troughs now the the other thing that um, uh, Rhonda was asking about is it looks like a modular garden and what that is is uh, now we have a number of different manufacturers that are offering modular gardens it's a corrugated metal uh, and so the the uh, like a like the tin on the roof of your of, of a barn or something is is corrugated well these think of a big oval that's made of corrugated metal it's typically coated uh, well to in, in addition to usually being um, galvanized inside but it's, it's also coated to prevent decomposition or rusting of the of the um, the metal itself and you can buy these in different sizes in terms of height you can buy them in different lengths and they go together uh, you put you screw the panels together so you can make a C shape you can make an L shape you can just have a nice long oval like a livestock watering trough uh, however you want to lay it out you can do that and it, it allows for creativity and they're very attractive they usually give you a little um, uh, material that goes over the top edge of the bed to prevent you from maybe cutting your hands or something like that on the metal it's a little uh, little strip that goes over the top uh, they're not as sturdy for for sitting on uh, that would be one uh, disadvantage of them but when it comes to economics uh, if you want something that's going to last a good while and you don't need a giant garden 
you know, thousand square feet of growing uh, space, uh, they're they're a good option. So either either way, you can you can find those. Uh, need to just look for look for modular gardens. Uh, you do a search for that, and you'll start to find the things uh, that we're talking about. Uh, also, uh, Rhonda had asked about uh, zoysia um, in a shady area. It's kind of hanging on. It's not really growing well. And uh, the idea would be maybe you take out a tree or two. There's some small trees that obviously grew uh, in a forested kind of setting together uh, just because of the growth, the shape, the leaning, and other things of the trees. And so uh, taking those out would help the lawn a lot. Zoysia is fairly shade tolerant. It's not as shade tolerant as St. Augustine. Uh, and even St. Augustine, you need a dappled shade. You need some beams of sunlight hitting the soil. Uh, you need, uh, hopefully, a very bright shade, too. And uh, shade, it, it, our eyes deceive us sometimes on, on how much light is coming in because our eyes adjust to the light. Uh, but you need a lot of foot candles hitting the ground for those. Um, those grass plants to thrive. When you're marginal, the grass stays alive, but it doesn't do much and it doesn't get really thick. Uh, when you take grass that's in that hanging on condition and you start uh, stomping across it with your feet uh, or other kinds of, of, of traffic from pets or something like that, uh, it starts to decline and you can't turn it around. I've, I just have found that there's just not a way to turn it around. You can't replace sunlight with water or with fertilizer. It, it doesn't work that way. In fact, it can work against you uh, to, to, to overwater and over fertilize in a shady uh, kind of setting. So those are those things to think about. Uh, kind of a trade-off. I think the zoysia is going to have more foot traffic uh, resistance. Uh, so if you got some little dogs running around, that that, that would be helpful. Um, it would be nice to sit down with your dogs and, and uh, reason with them and explain to them that you don't want them taking the same pathway every time they go across the yard. Uh, I've noticed that dogs not only run along a fence line uh, and wear a pathway, but uh, we used to have a path going when I was a kid growing uh, out to a workshop in the backyard. And our foot traffic had kind of worn this path, and, and uh, my dog followed that path all the time. Uh, one time he was laying out in the yard off to the side. I called him, and instead of coming straight to me, he went sideways to the path and then came to me. Uh, it's, I guess we're creatures of habit, right? So anyway, that kind of wear and tear, it's hard to get any grass to, to do well if, if it doesn't get a little bit of a break. Okay, Bill emails, and uh, St. Augustine has some mushy spots here and there, and he's kind of wondering, you know, can, can you top dress with something, uh, and, and if so, what would you use? Uh, I, I'm not sure, you know, not seeing the spots, seeing how big they are and everything, uh, I'm not sure why they're mushy. You know, is it, is it a different kind of soil there? If it's a larger area, maybe. If it's just a small spot, uh, then probably not. Uh, is it a low area, or, or what other things are going on? Uh, so, I would I would recommend probably not trying to top dress my way out of that, but to kind of figure out what's going on in that area. Uh, top dressing is something that's done usually to help with thatch, uh, and you know you're you're putting like a compost or, or something like that over the soil. And old dead runners, which are resistant to decomposition, you know, are kind of semi-covered up that way, and, and you, 
you kind of get a nice, good, fresh uh, growth response in the grass if it's something like compost. Uh, golf greens and things are, are often top dressed with sand. Uh, and that can help maintain a good a good uh, surface and good good vigor in the grass and deal with again the the uh, runners and rhizomes stolons of of Bermuda grass uh, as well. But I don't think it's going to fix those uh, mushy spots. At least that uh, is is what uh, if I'm picturing your situation right. Uh, that's what uh, I would suggest. Uh, our phone number is eight four five. 5689-845-5689 or you can email me at gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Let's go to the phones now and talk to Ron. Hello, Ron. Uh, good, morning, good afternoon. Uh, got a question. Uh, many years ago when I was a kid, which was a long, long time ago, we, uh, we had a neighbor. He would burn off his, his lawn uh, about this time of year. Okay. Well, what's your take on that? To burn off the lawn? Uh, yeah. Like uh, yeah. Not, not a good idea. I mean, it, if your lawn, well, first of all, I'm not even, you know, going to talk about the fire department, the city regulations, or any other issues like that uh, when it comes to burning, but that's a, that's an elephant in the room for sure. Uh, but if it's a, if it's a grass that has uh, a good, strong crown, uh, like a lot of the grasses in the prairies do, they have a clump. Uh, they can survive the burn and re-sprout out of the base. If it's a grass that has underground uh, uh, rhizomes, like um, uh, Bermuda grass, for example, and some zoysias, uh, then it could also survive that. Uh, but if it's like St. Augustine and it's all above ground, all the growing points are above ground, then a burn would, would, would kill it. It, it couldn't recover mm. from that. Okay. So, so you not, see, rec not recommended. No, you see it in nature. You know, the lightning on the prairie starts a prairie fire and it burns off and then all this fresh new comes through and it looks looks so pretty. So I, I get the, the thinking that would lead to that practice, but uh, not, not for a lawn situation. Appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Ron. Our phone number, 845-5689-845-5689. Uh, let's see, we're going to talk about some other things going on this time of the year. Uh, before I forget, though, I want to mention uh, there is a uh, program coming up on Saturday, January 27th. January, I'm sorry, 28th. January 28th, Saturday. Uh, and it's In the Dirt with Master Gardeners, uh, talking about fruit trees. Um, and that program is going to be by me. It's at 10 a.m. at the gardens on campus. I'll be out at the gardens on campus talking about fruit trees and success with fruit trees. So if you've bought a fruit tree and you're about to plant it, uh, can you hang on till Saturday? <laughs> uh, it's Saturday the 28th. Uh, if not, uh, what we're going to talk about a little bit about planting. We're going to talk about the trees that do well here, the types of fruit that do well here, and then other things like, do I need a pollinator for this one or not? Uh, how do I 
train it at plant starting at planting we begin the training process uh, with our fruit trees and uh, how do you do that how do you prune it how do you take care of it what are some of the issues that you might deal with now this is going to be free it's open to the public uh, all all of these talks this spring are going to be free uh, i and the master gardeners here in brazos county are going to be giving a series of talks uh, this fruit tree is in is in uh, January. I'll be talking about roses in February. Uh, there's uh, further down the line that we're going to have our, our folks that do plant propagating, our master gardener folks that are experts at plant propagating, going to be talking about that. Uh, we'll be talking about pollinator, pollinator gardens uh, as well. And I am forgetting one as I sit here and try to remember. I'm, there's another one coming. We're all the way to May, I believe, uh, with these talks once a month out at the gardens. Uh, on campus. So if you got some time, February 28th, Saturday, 10 a.m., come on out. Uh, we're going to walk and talk. I may do a few slides indoors or, or may just walk around and, and also talk about some of the fruit trees that they have there and use those as examples for uh, what we're doing. Well, let's go to the phones now and talk to Sarah. Am I saying that right? No. Please correct me. Uh, <laughs> I just butchered somebody's name. Hello? Hey, Skip. Yeah. Uh, this is Garrett. Hey, this is Garrett. Garrett, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, no problem. So I have a question about uh, bed prep for azaleas. So I've had this house for a couple of years now. I'm finally getting around to, to, you know, putting some landscaping in. Okay. And I have a spot that's next to an oak tree, and I'm worried about, uh, I guess, root crowding. Mm -hmm. uh, my plan was to put like maybe six inches of a like a azalea soil mix and plant right there. I was just wondering, like, what are the considerations for in terms of root crowding? You know, should I be worried about that? Should I take a different spot for this? Yeah, azaleas are a woodland species, and so they deal with tree roots all the time. Uh, so uh, if you go look at some beautiful landscapes. Uh, where they have azaleas, go up to Tyler or even parts of Houston down River Oaks areas, beautiful old trees and azaleas around them. And so that, that won't be a problem. Just don't pile that bed mix up against the trunk. Uh, but I got to ask this, uh, do you have some way to water them other than with our, our local water? Uh, I do not. So I'm actually in the Houston area. Oh, okay. Uh, and I was planning on uh, running after drip line irrigation for yes. one of the beds, and yes. I was planning on just extending that out okay. for that one. Well, everyone in the Bryan College Station area is jealous that you can grow azaleas, and <laughs> we, we don't do that here uh, because our, our sodium and bicarbonates are just too much. But yeah, yeah, that's great. You can, you can do that. You want to use a soil mix that is acidic, and you've got some good soil yards down in that area that can get you fixed up with that, or you can buy it by the bag if it's not too much of an area you're planting. Uh, I would recommend using, uh, when you water them in and, and for a while, uh, if it's not too many plants, I would get something that's an acidic, soluble plant food. Uh, and uh, that is, uh, it provides the nutrients that they need, and each time you give them a very light dose of nutrients in the water. It's not mixed strong, it's mixed very weak. Uh, and that'll help get them off to a good start as well. And then there's See, would things. that be something like? Uh, oh, sorry. Would that be something like aluminum sulfate? No, I'm talking about, and I'm, I, you know, again, I don't recommend brands on the show, but um, muracid 
it's kind of like the miracle Grow version for acidic plants. Well, just like there's that version with miracle Grow, there are other companies that have an acidic thing that you scoop it out, mix it in water, and water your plants with it. Uh, and, and with just a few uh, plants, that's not uh, cost prohibitive, and it helps get them off and get them going on a good start. Uh, long term, you want them to find their nutrients in the soil mix that you provided and with your, uh, your dry fertilizer applications. And those could be, again, uh, something for acidic-loving plants or uh, things like cottonseed meal uh, work really well for azaleas mixed into the soil. That'd be an organic that naturally slowly decomposes and releases the nutrients. Okay, cool. And uh, is it is this a good time of the year if I wanted to go ahead and do this or should I wait? No, it's a good time. Uh, it is a good time. In fact, cool. sooner rather than later. We, um, you know, we start our best woody ornamental planting season is in late fall, mid to late fall. And, and that's because it gives us the most months before the brutal summer uh, hits. Uh, but if you go ahead and get them in now, that's also fine. I mean, you can plant an azalea in May or June. But it just, as you get closer and closer to summer, the likelihood of them not being ready and able to handle that uh, increases significantly. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for answering those questions. All right, have fun. Enjoy those. All right, thanks. All right, bye-bye. Oh, man. I used to be in an area where I could grow azaleas, but it's been a while now. And blueberries, too. Oh, my gosh. Uh, blueberries. Uh, you know, I, I've thought about putting a, a rainwater collection system on the house, and I need to. I need to get around to doing that. Uh, because then I could have a, a bed with a perfect soil mix for blueberries and grow blueberries in the ground here and just water them with rainwater, and they'd be very happy. Uh, but boy, I tell you, when we when we start using our, our naturally soft water, sodium, high sodium, high bicarbonates, and things like that, some of those plants absolutely will not tolerate that. All right, let's uh, go back to the phones again, and this time we're going to talk to Syed. Hello, Syed. How are you, Skip? I'm doing well. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Skip. Skip, I have a question about uh, this, uh, uh, what they call it, a garden fabric, I guess, which you cover in, the, uh, in order to stop the growth of weeds and so on. So uh-huh. I, I used that in my um, flower garden, and... Uh, this year, I don't know whether that was the reason or something else. I have lots, lot of uh, um, flowering plants, particularly roses, uh, died. And is is it something that uh, has got something to do with this uh, this round fabric that I use in order to suppress the region? Yeah. In that process, I did something to the roots of this uh, plants, or what's your suggestion on that? Well. No, that what you did did not. Um, it, it did not affect the 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 roses. That's not why roses died. One thing about those ground covering fabrics, you know, if you uh, they come in a lot of different types. Some are so almost like plastic with little holes punched in it that's so thin you can stick your finger through it, uh, and others are a very densely thick woven material that professional landscapers would use. Uh, When you go into garden centers, sometimes you see a black fabric on the ground that all the plants are sitting on. In that kind of situation, it works really well. Uh, When we put them in a landscape bed and then we cover them with mulch, over time, 
weeds will sprout above the fabric, on top of the fabric, and then they uh -huh. stop doing what we wanted them to wanted it to do, and that's prevent weeds. Uh, but they're not going to kill your plants. Uh, that okay. That's not the case. Okay, that's, that's good to know that. So now I was concerned that maybe I, should I take that off and then, um, you know, just completely um, make that thing, you know, like just cover it with mulch and not have the fabric. Well, you said that, that, that should not hurt the plants. So. You know, I, I would. Uh, but, you know, if you spend a lot on on fabrics and stuff you could leave them for a while until you start having problems with them but uh in general i i don't i don't recommend using them uh it, with a lot of maintenance they'll they'll be okay but you know think about the think about the the uh natural system uh the the way these plants that are woody ornamentals and roses would be an example the way they work is leaves fall on the ground and decompose and create this nice mulch surface that fights yeah. weeds and and all that and and you can create that in your landscape beds and without the need for that fabric uh, i was really this this uh, weeds had become a, really a headache so much of it was happening that all the time i was spending my time i'm a retired person but i my retirement was not to pull the weeds so, <laughs> yeah <laughs> you didn't retire so, to pull weeds <laughs> <laughs> So that, that was not the purpose of retirement. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I tell you, I get some of my best thinking done when I'm pulling weeds. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I, I think I've I, I used all my thoughts and everything. <laughs> now. Right. I'm still pulling the weeds. So, but thank you so much uh, for your suggestion. And I'll, I'll just uh, try to leave it uh, for another year and just spread the, uh, some mulch on it and yes. put new new uh, uh, you know plants there and see what happens next yeah so yeah. i appreciate your help and you have a wonderful uh, weekend and uh, always grateful to you for all the help you do for us and everybody else well thank you and you have a great weekend as well appreciate the call thank you thank you sir bye-bye bye. our phone number is 979-845 i have to throw in 979 I had somebody from houston a minute ago 979-845-5689 845-5689 or by email at gardensuccess at t-a-m-u dot e-d-u gardensuccess at t-a-m-u dot e-d-u uh, we had a question uh, by john earlier uh, to start off the show about garlic and john i said i'd, I'd look into something and i wanted to, to get back uh, on that for anyone listening or, or as well as you know John uh, hardneck garlics are, are more common for colder climates because they're a lot more cold hardy than the soft neck garlics are uh, as I look through some of the AgriLife Extension uh, horticulture department materials uh, it seems like soft neck garlics uh, seem to be the one that are that are primarily uh, being uh, recommended for that so uh, soft neck garlic would probably be the one you'd go with. Now, I don't know if you tried planting a hard neck that it wouldn't do any good at all. It would probably do okay. But uh, in general, uh, we, we go with uh, the uh, soft necks. Uh, they don't develop, a soft neck doesn't develop that flowering stalk, which is called a scape uh, that, that comes up through. So the stems, uh, you know, stay soft and flexible. And so you can braid uh, the garlic. Uh, I don't know if you've ever 
seeing garlic with escape and onions will also put out a, a, a hard flower stalk or a flower stalk as well that but not as hard as garlic but anyway that I think you will find that to be uh, pretty good I, I've I have grown one time the the soft neck garlic and it's been a long long time and I, this is reminding me I need to do that again uh, it just it's just good you know we're fortunate uh, to be able to grow soft neck garlic here now let's just complicate things a little bit more the hard neck garlic is the one that's more flavorful uh, but the soft neck garlic uh, does really well at storing it stores better than the hard neck types so there's your trade-off more than you wanted to know about garlic well it looks like we got time for another call if you if you would like to call in our number is 979-845-5689 845-5689 or by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu uh, let's see the uh, Fred emails about some bur oak acorns uh, he his tree produced a lot of bur oaks this this year and it wants to know how do you go about that if you go online it says you freeze them and refrigerate them and so on well out in nature they fall on the ground and typically you got your cool season rains and it gets cool uh, it doesn't have to be freezing just cool and it goes through that period which then helps it to sprout uh, coming out in the spring so you could put uh, some acorns like your baroque acorns maybe put them in a little moist sand or moist sphagnum moss or something like that uh, not soggy wet just moist in a zip closure bag uh, in the in the refrigerator and leave them for a month or so and then take them out and plant them or you can just plant them out in nature leave them through the winter and uh, they'll they should sprout and come up just fine so I think that uh, you can have success now notice that uh, note also that a lot of acorns have weevils in them uh, if you've ever picked up a, an acorn and seen the little nice round hole uh, in the side of the acorn that's where the weevil came out and so what we usually recommend is throw your acorns in a bucket of water and those that float or probably have a weevil inside because it's becoming hollow inside maybe the weevil hasn't left yet so you don't have the hole but it's inside and those that sink would do better I've never tried that with bur oak so you'd have to make sure that works the same with bur oak I, I've not tried uh, putting them in water to see if they sink or float but that'd be one way uh, to make sure that you're only using acorns that have a good chance of, of sprouting uh, and surviving Linda asks about would netting help in keeping bugs from getting to summer squash plants and if so what type of netting uh, would be the best uh, and what time to cover well yes it will uh, I have grown squash underneath row cover fabric that is a very lightweight spun bound polyester product the heavier weights we use for frost blanket uh, but the lighter weights are very good for excluding insects. They allow a lot of light through and they allow a lot of uh, they allow moisture and even air to pass through uh, some. Uh, since then, I have switched over to a netting material. So imagine the screens on your house, but imagine a fabric that the holes are even smaller than that uh, by a little bit and that is very soft it's like holding a bed sheet in your hand you know it's very soft in terms of bending and everything well that netting you can purchase now online 
and uh, put that over your plants and it allows a lot more light through or allows more light through it allows air and water to move through and it excludes all the pests the only thing with squash the caveat is it has to be pollinated so if you had two squash plants and you wanted to net them you could lift them up and go out each morning with a little artist brush and uh, move the pollen from the male flowers to the female flowers and do that yourself and completely stay away from the squash vine borer or uh, you could just let them hit a point where they're finally putting female blooms out, take the netting off, and the vine borer is going to find them. But by the time it finds them, lays the egg, the egg hatches, tunnels in, and does enough damage to shut down production, you get a decent crop uh, of your squash. So those would be the two strategies that you might use for that. One final comment is if you're in an area if you're in a bed where you grew squash last year and the vine borers got it, you have their pupa in that soil. So throwing a netting over it just traps them inside the cafeteria, if you want to think of it that way. So move to a different spot uh, and rotate in order to avoid that vine borer. Well, thanks for listening today. We'll be back again next Thursday with Garden Success. In the meantime, check us out on your favorite podcast app where you can listen to past shows at your own convenience. You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley.